0: Welcome to Poppin' Off, a special episode of Bubbles and Books, where we pop off with some of the most interesting, intelligent, wonderful, amazeballs people in our community.
1: Welcome to a very special episode of Bubbles and Books. We're popping off with Esme Syme-Smith, author of the outstanding middle-grade novel, Sir Callie, a story about a 12-year-old non-binary child seeking to find their place in a world filled with dragons, shapeshifters, and witches. Welcome to the podcast, Esme. Thanks for having me. So uh, your accent reveals your British upbringing, but you're joining <laughs> us today from Missouri, correct? Yes, St. Louis. Awesome. Uh, and that's where we first met you at Heartland Fall Forum last year. And year ago today. <laughs> yeah. A wonderful friendship has bloomed out of it. Um, your bio says that you live there with your wife and you teach preschoolers. Uh, is that still your day-to-day work? um well now I work with infants and toddlers which is even more fun oh my goodness how's your health holding up in the fall cold season are you immune like strong
0: um I'm enjoying the lack of heat because Missouri has been brutal this year yeah um my air conditioning decided to blow right in the middle of the heat wave (laughs) um so I'm very very thankful for the cold weather now are
1: you adapting to the Midwestern like persona? Are you taking on some of those qualities or do you still think of yourself as a British girl? Or sorry, that was totally um, inappropriate. Can I start that over again? No, I mean, like I was a British
0: girl. I wasn't non-binary yeah. in England. So that's okay.
1: <laughs> okay, thank you. Thank you for that generosity. Um, but are you taking on the Midwestern persona? I
0: think so. I think um, it's taught me how to like, I don't know, just be friendly (laughs) and talk to people. Um, In England, we all go about not speaking to each other and keeping your head down and don't talk to anyone. Um, But what I love most about being in Missouri in particular is just like the random conversations I can have day to day. Um, When I was dropping my wife off at the airport, I went and got coffee and I got chatting to this amazing woman called Jennifer and we were just talking about like queer kids and trans rights and you know all that fun stuff with a total stranger <laughs> so I made you best friend today.
1: That's I fantastic.
0: Yeah I love it. Um, Joining
1: us on the podcast today are Tavi Rostogi, a dog-eared books bookseller and frequent podcast participant as well as Ben Shrag, Tavi's best friend, her partner in crime, youth services librarian at the Ames Public Library and board president of Tavi's organization Good Books Young Troublemakers. Welcome Tavi and Ben.
2: Hi, Amanda. Hi, Ben. (laughs) Nice to be here.
1: Awesome. As we've mentioned in previous episodes, Tavi is the founder of Good Books, Young Troublemakers, a -a one-of-a-kind book club she created in 2021. It recently began its transition into a national nonprofit aimed at starting book clubs in communities all across the country. This book club is inspired by the work of the late Congressman John Lewis and is designed to use outstanding books, like Esme's, to turn empathy into action by helping kids build and strengthen their allyship muscles. At Dogyard Books, this book club has had an enthusiastic and loyal following, both from the middle school students who participate, but also general customers who support the work of the book club by purchasing and donating books each month. Ellen and I believe that the work Tommy is doing in our loft each month over snacks and Capri Suns will forever change the life of these readers. And in the process, Hopefully, hopefully change the lives of each person they encounter in need of a good ally in a country plagued by systemic racism and bigotry. It can feel like a drop in the bucket. But as Congressman Lewis says, and as Tomby often quotes, do not get lost in a sea of despair. Be hopeful. Be optimistic. Our struggle is not the struggle of a day, a week, a month or a year. It's the struggle of a lifetime. Tommy, with those words, tell us more about Good Books Young Troublemakers' mission and how Esme, our guest today, and their novel are tied to your work. Yeah, thanks for that amazing introduction.
3: Um, I love this book club so much, and I love the kids that I work with so much um, that I see every month. So, Good Books and Troublemakers, like you said, started in April 2021 um it's a book club for middle schoolers so kids in grades six through eight and it kind of has its roots in my work as a librarian so I have been a librarian for many many years um I started out working with children of all ages and then I transitioned to working specifically with teenagers and um So two things happened in my library career. So um, the first thing was uh, many years ago, I was doing um, book talks at the local middle school. I used to go um, every year, many times throughout the year. And I would always try to take a diversity of books to these kids. Um, So all different identities, all different genres, all different experiences. And the kids would get really excited. It was like the most joyful thing in the world to go to the middle school and see how excited these kids would get and so there was this one um one book talk session that I was doing in a sixth grade class and um you know I'm pretty naive and I think like the kids are gonna love every book and I pull out this book and it's got um uh gay as the main character and so I'm holding up my book and I'm talking about the book and I'm like this boy is gay and he's struggling with x y and z and the kids like they all erupt at once and they're like oh, that's so nasty. And I was like, what's like, what's happening right now? And I froze in this classroom and I'm waiting for the teacher to say something. Um, and the teacher doesn't say anything. And I'm like, what is my role here? Like I'm a guest in this classroom. I don't really know any of these kids. I don't really know the teacher. Um, this isn't my space. And I have like this, this mega freak out within the span of like 10 seconds. And it's just like silence. And I didn't say anything. And then I just moved on. And, I, and I'm and i just talking about the other books. And I felt dreadful, like I went home that night and I felt terrible um, about my silence. And every night for, or every morning for the next, like, I don't know, six months, seven months, um, I'd take a shower. So shower is like prime time for just like overthinking everything, right? And so I'm in the shower and I'm thinking about this over and over again. And I kept imagining it differently. So I kept imagining, well, what if I had said this? What if I had said that? And after a while, I realized a couple of things. One was that this was a very self-serving exercise. Like I can't actually go back and change anything. Um, but also like I had coached myself. Like I had coached myself into knowing what to do next time it would happen because I had practiced it so often, like literally every day for all these months. Um, And that was like a real light light bulb moment for me, because I was like, this is going to happen again. And it did happen again. And I knew exactly what to say the next time it happened again, because I practiced. And it was like, wait, if I can practice this, then like anyone can practice this, right? So the other thing that was happening is I'd have all these kids coming into the To the library to come hang out with me. And being a librarian is sort of its like own odd experience because you're this trusted adult who has no real authority over kids. And so because you don't have this authority, like you're not a parent, you're not a teacher, um, they're very honest with you. Like they'll just like share everything with you. And so I had these kids coming in who would be like, Tonby, this thing happened at school today. Like I heard someone call another kid, the N word in the hallway. And I'm like, okay, that really sucks. Like, what did you do about it? And the answer is always nothing, right? Like people don't really know what to do when something like that happens. Um, we don't know what our role is. We don't know if it's safe. We don't know like the words that we need. Um, and so I talk about that with them, like, well, this is why it's not appropriate. And like, what would you have said like let's think about it if you could go back to that moment and so we were just practicing over and over again and so i started this book club um to do that in a more intentional way right um uh, so the book club is kind of based on this idea that um we can like bust stereotypes and like challenge our own biases um by reading a diversity of books that help us build empathy um but i also feel like we talk often about the empathy that we can build from books um not recognizing that empathy doesn't necessarily make us behave as allies right like we often sort of start and end at just the empathy part um and so, but we need that empathy part to get to the allyship part. So that's sort of a prerequisite. So we read this diversity of books um, to develop empathy. Um, but then another thing that the that the book club is built on is the idea that we can practice allyship um, the way that we practice anything else. So Ben, I don't know if you want to chime in here, but you have this amazing analogy that you came up with about um, thinking of allyship as like, sports like playing sports
2: oh yeah um well it's uh i think we just uh wouldn't put kids on the field and expect them to be fully safe safe and able to practice their sport without giving them protection and giving them training and support so that that made some sense to me yeah you know?
3: Right. And like, if you put a kid out on a field and they haven't had any practice, like there's a lot of potential for them to hurt themselves and also a lot of potential for them Mm -hmm. to hurt someone else. Right. Um, and so I think that's a really good analogy is like, you have to have some sense of what you're doing, um, and like have some confidence to be able to do it well. So the book club provides the opportunity for kids to practice allyship. And then the idea is that, the more they practice, the more confident they will be engaging in this allyship when they need to practice it in real life outside of the kind of safe space of the book club. Um, so the book club uses um, books that, you know, expose kids to a diversity of identities and experiences that exist in the world, but also which provide a lot of opportunity for allyship practice. So, uh, we went to this conference last year, the Heartland Conference in St. Louis, and oh, what was the event? It was like kind of a, a like an the author speed dating,
1: piece. yeah, move of all yeah. Oh, yeah.
3: And so like like the authors they come and like they sit with you for a few minutes, right, Esme? Mm-hmm.
0: It's it's like um speed dating for authors and bookstallers. Yeah,
3: and so you know we've got all these authors coming, and then this author comes. This amazing, like shocking, like bright blue hair, like teal hair. Um, and this author is a middle grade author, like a debut middle grade author. And they were like, I have this fantasy about a kid who's non-binary. And it like pinged everything in my brain. I was like, wait a minute, <laughs> this sounds exactly like something I want my kids to read, especially because we don't often get the opportunity to read outside of realistic fiction. Um so Esme, <laughs> I was so excited for you to sit down at that table. That was like such a transformative moment for my book club. Um, tell us about Sir Callie, please.
0: Yeah, I just want to say, like, I, I remember that day and sitting at your table and just like, you know, sometimes you just have that immediate connection with people. And I was just like, oh, man, these are my people. I'm gonna, <laughs> it's going to be great. This makes the whole of it worth it. Um so when you invited me to speak with your book club, it was just like the most amazing thing. Um, and I'm, I'm stoked to come visit. Um, so my book is, well, I'll talk about the series. Um, the series is called Sir Kelly. And the first book, Champions of Hellstone, came out last year. It's about this kid, Callie, who's non-binary and wants to be a knight in a very gendered world where boys get to be knights and girls do, like, gentle magic and there's, like, nothing in between. Um, And Callie being an amalgamation of myself and very much an Aries, it's just like, screw this, (laughs) I'm not doing this, I want my dreams, I get my dreams. Um, And in the process of kind of, you know, rocking things around, they um, make, they meet, other kids from Halston who have never had any experience outside of, you know, that very small, insular community and they rock their worlds too, and they find their friendships and their strength and, you know, the ways in which we can be brave and strong, even if, you know, it's hard, even if it makes, feels like things are getting worse. Um, And it's about endurance, I think, um and then my second book, Dragon's Roost, is coming out in oh my goodness, three weeks time. Oh my goodness. Um and that's when everything burns to the ground. <laughs> um and I'm really excited for people to read it. Um I'm excited to give you all the complete story of Callie and Eloyn and Willow and Edwin. Um, and just really see, you know, the process of growing and learning how to exist in a world that is unfair whilst demanding fairness and equality and all the stuff that comes in between.
3: I love that you said that book too, is where it all burns down. Cause that's one of the things actually that we talked about in the book club. So when we read your book, um, one of the, one of the discussion points was like, like it book one could have sort of have just ended mm-hmm. like that. Right. So like, I don't, I don't want to be like super spoiler, spoilery, but like, there's a lot of characters who are dealing with a lot of like separate challenges, right? And they're all sort of, not all, but many of those challenges are sort of rooted in the same issue, but but they're also all unique to those particular characters. And um, things like work out well for those characters by the end of book one, right? Like they, they fight and they achieve um, like great change. And so one of the things that we talked about, one of the things the kids and I talked about was like, well, why didn't it end? Like why is there going to be another book? And the reason is cuz like it's not actually enough mm-hmm. to achieve justice for one person. Exactly. Right? Those individual gains are really important. Um and necessary, but like justice, fighting for real justice is a long ass battle. <laughs> right. And it so is. I love like, that. Like it continues.
0: Yeah. And it was really interesting writing it because um originally my editor bought two books. Um and she didn't ask me for any synopsis or anything. So I didn't know what I wanted to do for book two um and originally i had imagined series as like a magical school series and Callie stays in halston they learn how to be a knight blah blah, blah, blah. and then i realized that would be such a disservice to the characters because you know just because one man is out of power doesn't mean that everything's okay um you know not not to be too realistic about this, but it's very much like a 2020 book set in medieval England. Um, And I'm just like looking at the world around me like Trump is out, that's great, but like, you know, nothing is actually better yet. Like, it's better, but it's not good. Um, And Callie's world is very much, you know, it's, it's, it's plagued and it's stained and it's poisoned by this man who we defeated in book one. Um, like he left all of his supporters back in helston Um, you know, they're still looking at the kids, at Neil, at Queerness, like side-eyeing it. And just because you're tolerated, just because the rules say you have to tolerate people, doesn't mean that you're going to be accepted. It doesn't mean you're going to be safe. Um, it doesn't mean that everything's solved. Um, so when I realized that, um, everything changed and it's been so exciting for me to like really challenge myself in what I believe about the world and what I see um in books especially um and it's it's been such an interesting process um and I'm thrilled that I'm allowed to like write these stories in the way that I need to in a way that's not safe you know um, my editor, trust me, which is really cool. Um, and, and yeah, it, it's been really hard, honestly, working out how I want the series to end because like, I, I really struggle finding the joy in the world and like, what is the solution? There is no easy solution. And I'm trying to like, you know, delve into that. Um, but it, it was really interesting. I remember when we, we talked with the book club way back in winter of last year, um, And I I remember I was just feeling so like depressed about the state of the world and just like really struggling to find, you know, the ferocity and the fire that I needed to write Callie. And then I talked to your book club and it just, it inspired me so much to see, you know, the hope moving forward. Like, even if things aren't good now, like we're going to keep trying, it's worth trying. And I'm, I'm so thankful for you and your book club and that, you know, you found Callie and I think it's a great partnership. Ah, So 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 I
2: I was actually going to ask a question about that, um, if I might, because we talked a little bit about how the book club functions. Mm -hmm. And one of the things that I think is really genius about how Tanvi has set it up is that it goes beyond, you know, like you can have scenario based discussions, but marrying like allyship discussions with a book where you go beyond you know a dry scenario that someone provides you and you actually spend time with the characters get to know them get to know their nuances get to know um, the nuances of their situation and you're invested in in their future in a way you might not be in a you know dry fictional scenario Mm -hmm. um and then taking that and practicing so I, I, I was curious, like, and you kind of led up to it there. Like, what, how do you feel knowing that you've written this book and it's getting used in this way? Like, like, how, how does that feel?
0: It blows my mind. It really does. Um, like, I, I'm still at the point in my career where it's very new and it's still, like, shocking to me that anyone's, one, reading it and, two, enjoying it. Um, but the fact that, you know, it can give kids real hope. You know, the, re- the reason I started writing was because, I remember reading a story and it was obviously fiction. I was 12 and I just remember feeling these very real physical emotions. And I was like, dang, that's so powerful. Like, that's amazing. I want to do that. And the fact that I'm not just like, you know, helping people to like feel what the character feels, it's like, you know, giving people hope in a hopeless situation. And, you know, its it's been very interesting writing the grown-ups as well as the kids, because, you know, they're a little bit more jaded. They really struggle to like, you know, move forward when the bigger picture feels so bleak, but the kids are existing like minute to minute, you know, and like the next minute can be triumphant and that's worth going towards. Um, but no, um, it, it blows my mind that, you know, kids are reading it and understanding it and using it in their real lives. That's just wonderful.
1: I had a question related to that. Um, you talk about how your process of finishing the series is looking for hope and trying to figure out if it's there and where it is. Um, You also talk about how this book has become a story of endurance, looking or fighting for fairness where the world is unfair. When you first set out to create Sir Callie and bring them into the world. What was your first intention? Um, in building this world of fantasy and creating the character of Sir Callie? What made this book happen?
0: Um, I I don't really write with intention. Intention comes later in revisions, I feel like. Um, I wrote this book in April of 2020, right when we just started quarantine. Um, I was on submission with my first book that didn't sell and feeling pretty uh, about that. Uh, Also, the pandemic and also, you know, BLM and everything that's going on in the world. And just like, I need it was actually, it was, I needed joy. Um, and I was like thinking about the things that bring me joy. And I was remembering the Alana books, the Tamora Pierce books. And I was just like, okay, okay. It's time to write my night <laughs> um, And it's really interesting because the story was always like heavy because I write heavy things, but it was such a source of like joy and hope for me because, you know, I'm writing a character that is very much me very much who I was at 12, who I am now, um, but without knowing how cool the world can be. Um, and it's about them finding that out, but it's also about them deciding that they're going to do something about it. Um, yeah. But like, I, I, don't really write with intention. It's more about like the way the characters interact with each other that kind of informs what the story is going to be. Um, so it's it's all about the kids. It's all about the characters. Related to
1: that, um, in preparing for this interview, I was reading up on some of the interviews you've done. And something I found very profound in your description of how you align with Cali was a comment you made in an interview with the St. Louis, uh, a St. Louis newspaper. Um, and it in in this interview you said that Cali wasn't originally non-binary and through mm-hmm. the process of creating them, you discovered alongside Callie that your identity was that of a nine non-binary individual. Do you feel that you and Callie are almost like inextricable at this point in your own life? Like oh God, yes. Yeah.
0: <laughs> I, uh yeah, no, for sure. And like that gives me a lot of pride because I I love them so much, but they're much more um certain of themselves than I ever was. Um But it it was such an interesting moment. I remember exactly when it was. um, I was working on Callie and Elowen's scene in book one where um, Elowen's trying to like teach them how to be okay with their magic. And Callie's just like, no, I hate this. This is the worst. And I was just really like trying to process like what I was feeling about it. Because at that point I was really like, you know, uncomfortable in my femininity, in my you know, in the way that people perceive me, and I was challenging myself because, you know, I I want to write truthfully, um, but I also, you know, I I don't want to put more like, um, you know, sexism out there. I don't I don't want to do that, but also I don't want to pretend that I'm not feeling this way. Um, so I was really like, I had to like step aside a minute. I was just like, okay, you know, Kelly is not mad about dresses because you know, they, they hate femininity. They hate women. They're uncomfortable because of the way the world perceives them because they're perceiving them incorrectly. And I was like, crap, (laughs) what does that mean for me? Because, you know, Kelly was in the beginning, very much a character of my heart, of my soul. And I was trying to work out like how I felt about, you know, femininity and girlhood and all that stuff. And it's not that, you know, I dislike it. It's just that it just doesn't fit me. And it doesn't fit me. And it used to, but it doesn't anymore. Um, So working that out was like, it was pretty scary. And like, I talked to a lot of people about it. And that was actually when the shoes analogy came up. Um, Because I I was talking to someone and they were like, yeah, well, like, Jen's like a pair of shoes, you know, you can put them on, take them off and you'll find the ones that fit. And just because, you know, a different pair of shoes fit you like last year, doesn't mean you don't grow out of them, you know? (laughs) um it's just about finding what fits for you that's amazing i imagine
1: seeing so much of yourself in the character c- you created is a challenge too for writing her her plight you know how right. will the story end is very much putting yourself at risk how will my story end? how will the world treat me um, i think, I
0: think- that's a good thing though because it means that I can't get comfortable in it Mm -hmm. um it means that I can't rely on just like classic fantasy tropes um and that's why it's it's been so interesting for me like challenging what I want to do with this series because I need it to be true for myself I want it Mm -hmm. to be true for other people it's not just oh, we're going to, you know, get rid of this chancellor and we're going to put someone else on the throne who's going to be exactly the same. It's, mm-hmm. you know, something else has got to happen. And it's been a really interesting process working that out.
1: A fantasy novel that better mirrors reality.
0: That's exactly. fantastic. I love it. <laughs> we need more, more fantasy with the stuff. I
3: Especially love so- that. So you brought up, like... The idea of magic and how Callie really rejects their magic at first, right? Because it is so heavily associated with femininity, right? So, like in this kingdom, girls are supposed to practice magic. This is what Callie is perceived as. So, Callie is sort of like pigeonholed into this position of having to grow this magic within themselves. Mm -hmm. Um, And I thought it was really brilliant how by the end of the book, Callie realizes. I don't have to be a girl, but I can embrace this, this part of me and use it in a way that feels correct for me. And Mm -hmm. that makes me feel strong. And that is used in the way that I need it to be used. And so I thought that was really cool because it's sort of like, you can pick the parts, right? Like you don't have to you don't have to reject everything if you don't want to, like it's right. okay. Um, I just love that. I thought that was so cool. And and it, it felt so correct to tell Callie's story through the genre of fantasy, um, which you don't see super often in middle grade fiction. So yeah, I, tell I, me I, a little bit. Oh. Yeah, tell me a little bit about like how you decided to tell that story through fantasy and like, if it felt, um, like complicated at any point, like you sort of had to subvert some of those fantasy tropes to tell this story.
0: Yeah. I mean, I've always been a fantasy writer, right. From the beginning when I was writing fan fiction, um, like I've never written anything else. Um, and when I had to do it in college, it was horrible. (laughs) Um, I always feel like fantasy is the, is I always allege it to like a veneer or like a veil where like you have the fantasy story and then you have, you know, everything else that's going on and you can choose to sit in that fantasy world with the veil down and just enjoy it or you can pull it up and you can like, you know, interact with the rest of it. It's very, it's a safe place to do difficult things, I feel like. And that's why I have always done this with my fantasy stories. Um, They've always been very like, they feel contemporary but they're set in a magical world. And I don't know why I do this. I just love it. Um, But I always, I struggle with working out what magic is because to me, it's just an intrinsic part of the characters. Like it's inexplicable. Um, It's kind of like, you know, it's like talent or creativity. Like everyone has something different that they use it for. Everyone has like a different amount of it, you know, and, um, but everyone wants to know, like, oh, what are the rules? I'm just, I don't know. I don't know what the rules are. <laughs> like, there are no rules. It's just, it's so individualized. Um, and I, I did stick to my guns with that. It's just, like, it is what it is this moment. Everyone has it a little bit different. Some people don't have it at all. Some people have it more. Some people use it for this, this, and this. Um, and, like, I, I've worked out recently that magic in Callie's world kind of provides the user with what they don't have otherwise, Um, you know, I feel like Elowen's magic is so powerful and potent. Like it gives her the, the power that she doesn't have in her other life. You know, it gives Edwin his protection, you know, his security, um, and it gives Willow his outlet for creativity. Um, and that's something that the Halston kids just don't have elsewhere. Um, I'm still working on Callie, you know, we're working out together. (laughs) Um, but you know, I, I feel like magic is always used as a metaphor for something um, because there is so much magic in the real world. Um, yeah, and fantasy was just an automatic, this is what I'm doing, like we need some dragons in this.
1: Um, the, the kids, I'm <laughs> oh, sorry. I was just gonna say, um, and I, if you have a comment about the kids, I, I wanted you to describe how you used um, the plot points in this book as well as the unique experiences of each of the characters to create scenarios in which your kids in good books from troublemakers could practice allyship or gain understanding as well
3: yeah so yeah. the big one was definitely um misgendering and dead naming right so as may you like really didn't shy away from that in your book like it's it's pretty difficult um and so Callie, you know, is this non-binary child and like regularly experiences, um, dead naming and misgendering. Um, and so, you know, in the book club, most of my kids are cisgender. So it was an opportunity to talk about like, well, what is misgendering and what is dead naming and what is the impact on a person? And you see it so clearly through the character of Callie. I mean, Callie, Callie is, you know, experiencing this, um, this like anguish and and rage um, and a profound sense of exclusion when they experience this misgendering and this dead naming. And so um, using Callie and using the story, the kids were able to have um, a, a pretty deep conversation about, you know, if someone around you experiences this, how are they feeling? And if you know they're feeling this way, like what can you do to address it um and it's it's kind of a nuanced conversation right so we talked about like what if the misgendering is intentional if it's malicious how do you respond and that might be very different than if someone um forgets right that and yes. they, and they accidentally use the wrong pronoun and so the conversations that you have and the reactions that you have um can and and usually should be different, right? You approach in a different way. Uh, But then we were also able to talk about, um, you know, what if if someone who is close to you is out to you, right? But they're not out to you now that they're not out to other people. Um, the way that you handle misgendering or denaming then also looks very different, right? Because we have to be Mm -hmm. really cautious about not accidentally outing people. Um, And so then how do you care for someone who is experiencing this while also keeping um, their, their, you know, right to privacy safe with you? Um, And, you know, I think these are things that we assume a lot of people know how to navigate. but you don't really know that for sure until you actually sit down and have these really explicit conversations with them. Um, and you know, kids and adults alike, like we often fear, um, you know, engaging in allyship, calling people out cause it's scary and it's risky. And we don't know how someone's going to respond to us. We don't know if we're jeopardizing a, a relationship. Um, we don't know if we're going to become the target of, um, you know, bullying or harassment. And so those are things that we also then talk about. It's like, well, what is the risk to you? What is the risk to this person who is experiencing this, this harm? Um, And so it was really special to be able to use. uh, So all the books that we use are really special, but Sir Callie in particular was really cool because I have a lot of kids who love fantasy and we don't often have the opportunity to read fantasy in the book club. Um, and so the kids were like, oh, so badass, like these dragons and swords, and like, you know, Callie's like taking out this whole system. But also there's this opportunity for very real world conversation as well.
0: I love that. And it's um I, it's been interesting for, for me as the author, because um, you know, I'm I'm very I'm I feel like I'm much more aware of the way that I react to things now. Um, for example, I was, I was sitting in a coffee shop doing some writing the other day. And, um, there was this like queer person sitting close by me, just like running their own business. And this, this boy came out this like teenage boy. And I could just, I could feel the tension and he goes up to this person and I take, I take out one of the headphones. Cause I just, I, I don't want to be too nosy, but a little bit. And then I, I see this person's face just like. You know, I don't know, okay, I'm taking out the other headphone. Um and they're just being not aggressive, but being very like, oh well, I don't understand your identity, you've got to explain it to me. Um and I'm just sitting there going like, holy shit, like what am I gonna do? Um, but I couldn't just sit there. I couldn't just sit there. So, you know, I watch what's going on. And then when the guy walks away, I confront him. I'm just like, why are you bothering people? You don't need to be bothering people because like, it's, it's not okay for someone to walk away and feel like they didn't do anything wrong. I feel like they need to, they need to be as uncomfortable (laughs) as that, they just made that person feel. And, you know, I, I have quite a few experiences with that, especially in Missouri. Um, like luckily it's never really been directed at me, but if I see it being directed at other people, I'm much more willing to go and make them uncomfortable. You know, I'm I'm not afraid of that confrontation anymore. And I feel like that's my you know, it's almost my responsibility as a person writing this character, like who am I to be writing this character if I cannot do it myself? Ben, you were gonna say something earlier.
2: Oh yeah. Well, I mean, as I was listening to Esme's story, um, I was thinking about how um there were kind of two stories in there. One is when something happens to you and you have to stand up for yourself, and the other is when something happens and you are the other party that can step in. And those are really different experiences. And I think that's um, one of the values of you know books like these, and um, book clubs like these, and study guides like these. Um, I was uh, the thing I think I was going to just chime in earlier was, you know, thinking about, I think what Esme said about their own experience um, exploring this character made me think about how much representation matters. But then also in terms of the nuts and bolts book club stuff, um, you know, these thoughtful guides are also there to support adults wanting to have this conversation because having a conversation that's near, near explicit isn't enough, like that, that skill to take it all the way over the hump and say what you actually mean in plain and simple terms is hard. Um, and so like, I think you you know that like that experience when it's happening to you, how, how good would it be if somebody could step in with clear, simple language for you? Anyway, that's all I wanted to add.
3: Yeah, that's so true. And Esme, you said something about how like, you're not afraid anymore. I think it was kind of what you said, like, you you know, you, you do this now where you engage with people in this way. And that was, that was something for me too, was like, it starts out really scary, right? Like stepping in. Um, Mm -hmm. but the more you do it, the less scary it becomes, right? Mm -hmm. Um, you just become more practiced
0: yeah I've been like not afraid of confrontation really since I came to America and got away from my family (laughs) haha um so I I feel not necessarily confident but I'm like what the worst that could happen and you know I have another anecdote where I was at Starbucks and I was standing outside and I noticed this guy was reading and you know I'm always interested in books you know um and I ask him like oh what are you reading and he tells me about this book he's reading it's in a biography about this black jazz singer from St. Louis and I was like oh dang that's really cool um and then he was like yeah that was back in the days where racism exists and I'm just like hold up sir <laughs> like,
2: do you know what's
0: going on in the world I'm just like you yeah, know like black lives matter and like the police and he's just like yeah black people just you know they're killing each other and racism doesn't exist and I'm just like no we're not we're not doing this so I I say my piece I go back mm-hmm. inside um and i fi- figured that's the end of it and i, I sit down to do my activity typing and he comes back in and i'm just like oh uh, i'm hoping he's just gonna go get a refill of coffee nope he comes and sits down at my table i'm like okay okay maybe he's gonna apologize be like oh you know we we misunderstood each other let's have a conversation he's just like oh you liberals nowadays with your blue hair and i'm just like <laughs> i'm not engaging with you like <laughs> and he's like I'm, i i'm talking pretty loudly and he's like why are you shouting and i'm just like i want to hear everyone to hear how racist you're being right now and he stands up and i stand up and i tell him he has short guy
2: syndrome
0: <laughs> 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 um and he's about to deck me but luckily the the people throw him out um i want but- to hang out at your starbucks with
1: you this is so, like the fact that you called him on his short guy syndrome that that is those are the thoughts I have after the fact where I want to say those things and
0: you said them
1: so Uh, that's amazing I don't
0: don't have time for it anymore and like it was really interesting because there was a a little group of ladies like kind of like side-eyeing what was going on and like they were talking to me afterwards. they're like yeah we thought this was like a, a romantic situation. I'm just like, oh, gross. <laughs> but like you know, it's, it's everyone who's like, you know, listening but not necessarily saying anything. Mm-hmm. And you know, these people can go about their lives mm-hmm. spouting whatever they want. But if they're not challenged, then they're just going to keep doing it. Like even mm-hmm. if I didn't necessarily make a difference that day to them, they felt really bad afterwards, and that's mm-hmm. the main thing, honestly. Like if you can't educate someone, make them feel bad about their crappy views. Um, but yeah I I'm not gonna sit with my discomfort in silence anymore like I'm so over that so that's
3: one of the things about book club is like I know that I can't prepare the kids for like literally everything that that they're gonna encounter in the world Mm -hmm. but I can prepare them to have more confidence in themselves um which is one thing but the other thing is that um the book club helps prepare them, like it helps make them more aware, right? So I think one of the mm-hmm. things, and as May, I'm not sure if you experience this, I would guess that you probably do. Um, for me, one of the things I experience is that um, people will like say things or do things around me that like are very microaggressive or just aggressive, and the people around us don't notice it. Because to them, it's not microaggressive or it's not aggressive. Like it's not, there's nothing, you know, harmful about what has been said or done. And so no one then intervenes because it's not even a blip on their radar. And so the book club helps sort of um, get kids to engage with more awareness in the world. I love that. Cause you can't, you can't really be a good ally if you're not even noticing like the things that are happening no, around No, for you. sure. And like,
0: that's definitely what I experienced with like both those instances. It's like, you know, on the surface, it's, it's very, very innocuous. You know, mm-hmm. the, the, the boy was just like asking like, oh, you know, who are you? But like, I can tell by the look on this guy's, this person's face and I can, I can feel, you can feel it in the air, you know, when there were micro mm-hmm. issues going on, if you're used to experiencing them. And it's like, even if the people on the other table don't notice it, I'm noticing it and it's not okay. And like, I don't want that person to go home feeling like no one saw them. And it's about visibility as well. It's about saying like, I see you and I stand with you and you're not alone in this, even though this person is making you feel that way. Um, like there's, at the end of the day there's more of us than that guy. (laughs) So
3: so that's that's one of the things that I love about, you know, Sir Kali and books like Sir Kali is that they help create that awareness in the world. Mm-hmm. Right. Um, so can you tell us um what has the reception to Sir Cali been like?
0: It's been insane. Like I I don't understand how I got so lucky. <laughs> um because you know, I, I wrote it for myself and it was really cool to get published, but like it's a weird book. Um I'm really, really proud of it. And I'm most proud that something that is so important to me can be enjoyed and valued by so many other people. Um, and you know, I, I do get fan mail. I, I get a lot of emails, especially from kids, just telling me what it means to them. And, you know, I I had one person say to me that like this gives them hope. And like that was just everything. And I shared it with my editor because, you know, the world does feel very hopeless and bleak right now, but you know if there can be a little glimmer of light <laughs> then maybe that can pass along um it, it's just been it's been wild because like it's everything that i wanted to be as an author and i can't believe that this is real you know um and it's, it's just getting also especially with book two coming out because <clears throat> you know i i can engage with my readers like who've read it now like you know book one coming out was awesome but no one had read it obviously but now book two is coming out like Kids are really passionate about the characters, about the world. Um, I've really love meeting parents in particular um, of queer kids and just them telling me how much, you know, Nick and Neil met to them and like the way that, you know, the kids are handled just like, it blows my mind every time. And it's funny because every time I do an event or a signing or something, I come home and I tell my wife, that was the best day of my life. And, like, every day I mean it, you know? It's just, like, I get so many cool interactions with kids. Um, and I, I love the the deep ones, and I love the wild ones. Um, I was doing a, a a school visit, and one of the kids asked me, like, oh, if you weren't an author, what would you be doing? And so I told them about my old dream of being an emu farmer. And then just, like, the conversation just devolved into emus, and it was the best thing ever. I loved it. Um, just the fact that I get to, like, hang out with kids is just so neat because like they're such cool little people like I I, I work with babies and infants and like they have so much freaking personality man and like just more so more so as they grow up and you kind of see who they're going to be as adults and like I can't wait to see the world when they're adults like oh man anyway yeah it's great I love it
1: (laughs) I just was curious we live in the bubble of our book club and our bookstore and what fans we are of Esme's work. So I I was curious in the same way you are, what the reception has been like at a national level or from the readers that you've heard from. Uh, And so I'm thrilled that you are connecting with so many people around the country. And also just it, our experience with the book is so large and profound, but it it makes me feel so good as someone who bought the books for the bookstore um, and continues to stock them to know that we have Sir Callie in our curation and in schools and libraries and other bookstores, that that book is out there, that that Mm -hmm. representation of a non-binary child is adding, to what is out there for both non-binary and cisgender children to just grab from the shelf. One more occurrence Mm -hmm. of uh, adding diversity to what they encounter. I have a 10 year old who's a prolific reader and she benefits very greatly from Tomvi's curation. Um, Anything Tomvi recommends, I give her. And that for her, it wasn't reading Sir Callie wasn't here. I'm going to go learn about, you know, and the experiences of a non-binary child. It was, here's an awesome Mm -hmm. fantasy book. And by the way, these are the experiences like she loved it. Um, And Mm -hmm. that that's just filtering into their consciousness of seeing more people Mm -hmm. that they can empathize with, that they loved the character. They rooted for the character. I'm just grateful for that representation adding to the number of books we have out there for children to just either intentionally encounter through something like the books and troublemakers, or to have just been looking for a great book uh, in a medieval setting with dragons. Um, so I think that's very cool. Um, we have an event coming up with you. Um, yes. Uh, I'm excited. Uh, I, so excited to
2: hang out in real life. Yeah. yeah.
1: Yes. Thanks to your willingness to drive six hours uh, from St. Louis. <laughs> Thanks to so my
0: publisher to pay for my gas. <laughs>
1: okay, good. I am very grateful that they are doing so. Um, and we are thrilled both uh, for those who have already read your book to get to meet you in person. As Tommy said, her group is so jazzed that you're going to be here. Um, but there will be a whole group of readers who won't have encountered you yet that we hope to introduce them to your work. So Sir Callie. Um, So let's talk about our, and we branded, we branded uh, our new middle grade series after you, Chats and Snacks. Chats
0: and Snacks. We usually do cocktails and conversations, so. it was really funny. There was a little back and forth with my editor and my publicist when you first sent the like, I'm like, Oh, well, this is cocktail. That's no problem. But what if it was, yeah. <laughs> <Hey>. yeah.
1: Yeah. <laughs> um, but we'll be together on November 15th at the Ames public library at 6 PM. So chats and snacks with Esme, Simon, Smith and the world of Sir Cali. Um, we're really excited. Um, Tembe and um Ben, tell us a little bit about the event um, and what we hope to do there.
3: So yeah, the event's gonna be at the library. Um, we're gonna do a Q&A with Esme. So we're gonna we're gonna do a little bit of conversation first, and then kids can ask you whatever questions they want, which I'm sure will be um Fun and outlandish, possibly. <laughs> maybe about you, Moose. Um, there's gonna be some snacks there. There's gonna be a dragon fruit punch, um, which feels very fancy to me. Mm-hmm. Um, and you're gonna do a book signing. And I like this book really belongs everywhere. Like every every adult should have it, every kid should have it. Um, and that's actually one of the interesting things about Sir Kelly is that it's sort of like um it's not like a, a book that i would limit to any particular age like as an adult i was like hell yeah this book's amazing but i would also give it to like a fourth grader but i would also give it to like a tenth grader right um mm. so everyone should come eat some snacks but also like come get this book um get book 1 get book 2 i cannot wait i cannot wait to read book 2 i'm going oh, to man. india in it's... a couple of weeks and it's like loaded and ready on my phone oh my God, for me to get bad. me through that like... long haul flight <laughs>
0: Having the um having the 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 pre published um, reviews come in this means so much fun because obviously I grew up in fan fiction and like I just loved destroying my readers with cliffhangers and the fact that I get to do this in traditional publishing at a national scale is just wild like ugh. I get so many messages, I like, pay for my therapy. And I'm just like, yes, this is what I wanted to do. Um, so I apologize for the trauma that I will put y'all through, um, but it was worth it.
3: <laughs> we can't wait to hear from you. And I can't wait for everyone to see like your cool blue hair. Like, you're just like, you're so cool. I just can't wait for people to like meet you in How real you life.
0: Cool no, it's great. I I love what I get to do and I love that I get to do it with people like you. And it's just oh, how is this life? I don't understand.
2: It doesn't make sense to me. <laughs> yeah, we're really excited that you're coming. It's just it's gonna be such a good time. It will be.
3: I think if people are interested in book club, get in touch with me. I am um, hoping to start chapters around the country. Um, I think anyone could be doing this work and I want everyone to read Sir Kelly and all the other great books that we've been reading and um
0: and just grow. And just do cool shit in the world. Yeah, cool shit in the world. That's what we love. Thank you for everything that y'all do. You inspire me. Yeah,
1: congratulations, congratulations on the super successful series. Thanks for joining us for this special episode of Popping Off with Dog-Eared Books. Be sure to like, subscribe, and comment if you enjoyed this. And if you know of someone we should interview on a future Popping Off, DM us in our social media.